0: Hi, I'm sitting here with the lovely Shalina.
1: And I'm sitting here with the lovely Nekka.
0: Welcome to What's Your Safe Word?
1: A podcast about declarations of resistance by us, Women at the Center.
0: So, what are you drinking?
1: So, I am drinking open wine and... That's what it's called. I mean, it is open as well, but <laughs> okay. it's <is> called open.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> And it's a Riesling Gutströminer, so it's nice and sweet, like I like it.
0: Is, it. is it Ontario? Is it?
1: It is, sorry, yeah. It's a Niagara product of Canada. Yeah.
0: I like that. I really do, and I feel very badly because what I'm drinking is not Canadian. And I said the last time how, because Jacinda from... Uh, New Zealand is my new girl crush. See how I refer to her as if we were best buds.
1: Literally, first name. Yeah.
0: First name terms. Um, I'm drinking a Babiche uh, Marlborough Savignon Blanc, and it's a New Zealand deliciousness. (laughs) I've had it before, and I thought I'm going to open another bottle for the podcast and promote it because... I'm trying to promote the New Zealand economy, and I keep promising I will promote the Ontario Canadian economy, which I actually do. I have brought some Ontario wines, but yeah. for this podcast, it's New Zealand.
1: Nice. I like it.
0: Indeed. Indeed.
1: So we start with our check-in. Let's do it. Okay. you uh, start? Sure, I can start. Mental noise. So my mental noise is very, I guess, like... Egocentric? No, I don't know. <laughs> Self centric? Whatever. It's about me. Um, my mental noise is that I have a tooth that has had two root canals on it. I just Ouch. had last, yeah, I just had my last root canal, which was a retreatment um, in September because I had had a root canal maybe like I don't know a year before that.
0: I remember that.
1: Yeah, and it got an infection. Uh, before I put a crown on it. And so anyway, I then had to get a retreatment. So another root canal, uh, which is never enjoyable. And then, uh, although (laughs) I'm completely drugged, so what do I know? But (laughs) um, yeah, because mouth pain is way too much for me. But anyway, uh, it is now kind of showing symptoms of being infected again. And so uh, it's it's just kind of like achy a little sometimes and so like it was kind of what it was doing last time And I was actually due in March to like have my x-rays and then get the crown put on because it's a very weak tooth um, And so it needs a crown. So anyway, I Had to call the dentist and right now during COVID It's a whole thing to go to the dentist. So I had to like send an email talk about what it was they had to evaluate whether that was an emergency or not hell. yeah so they said it was so anyway I went today which gave me like a whole bunch of anxiety the whole day before I went and um anyway I had to send like a contract like they sent me like a contract what? and I had to check box that I knew what COVID was that, um, I hadn't been around anybody that had tested positive. I hadn't tested positive. I didn't have a fever. I didn't have like the general symptoms, like all these things had to sign it. And then when I went there today, I had to wait in my car until they like called me up. Wow. And I was the only person in the office at the time, like the only patient, the only patient. And I wasn't allowed to touch doors. I wasn't allowed to touch anything. They did everything. And then they like, Took me straight to the ch- chair and they took my temperature before I was allowed to walk in the door. So, how do you respect that? Yeah, yeah, it was a whole process, but it was just like very, it's the little things, right, that are completely drastically different that show mm-hmm. you how different the world is right now. And so, that was one of those things because I think other little things like grocery store lineups and you know like staying in my house like those are things i've kind of gotten used to but the dentist yeah. i usually see it in one way right and yeah. so seeing it in a completely different way was a lot of like oh yeah right this is still completely think, gone. Yeah. and now i have a toothache ish <laughs> oh. but like anyway they took x-rays she said that it is looking to like start beginning getting affected Ooh. but that I can, like, try my best to, like, I don't know, keep it under control. She doesn't want to put me on any um, antibiotics because she doesn't want to, like, suppress my immune system. Oh. So anyway, whatever. It's my mental noise.
0: <laughs> Do you have drugs to treat? Because toothaches are... Uh...
1: It's not hurting that much yet. So that's why I went in early because I didn't want... I, I had just like felt a few aches and a few pressure. Like I've been stressed over the past couple weeks. So I think I've actually been clenching my mouth.
0: Mm. Um,
1: so it's kind of like sensitive to pressure, which I've never felt before. I've only, I only usually feel sensitivity to like uh, cold. Yeah. So anyway, it's just uh, a whole thing, but I'm hoping for the best because she said that they couldn't do a ro- another root canal on it. It would have to be taken out. What? and so no. then I would have to get an implant or a bridge and I just don't even want to talk about it <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't have to you do uh, not have to talk about it we're not yeah. going to talk about it because it's not going to happen, it's
2: Dad, gonna happen. Um, back at work and he has to sign one of these contracts every morning when he goes into work you
0: hell night,
2: yeah every night they give him a sheet that was it basically says the same thing that you were talking about, Shalina, that he has to like check off every morning sign it <laughs> And then they have one of those temperature guns where they test each one of their temperatures yeah. when they walk in. And the other day he had a migraine. And so he was asking around just for like an Advil. And he was like, yeah, I made the mistake of asking someone from my jar and that <laughs> opened up a whole other bunch of questions. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> like, no. When the start? And you know, yeah. he's like, I just get migraines. It's fine, I'm fine. But no. I, I totally agree that guy. Like I respect it. Like it's yeah. incredible that they're doing that. But it does change just like how you think about going to the dentist or going to work or everything yeah. like our entire worlds have shifted. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, That's a lot. Uh, my mental noise is equally a lot. Um, my mental noise that I'm actually going to share today is different from the mental noise that I was thinking I would share as we were preparing, you know, the week was leading into this podcast. Earlier on today, I um, was asked to do an interview with the Globe and Mail newspaper, and it was uh, concerning a a 17-year-old boy who, back in February, like the end of February, had uh, murdered a young woman by the name of Ashley Noel Alzaga, Um, who worked at a massage parlor and injured a whole bunch of women in the the parlor, was arrested. And we find out today that he's actually being charged with terrorism uh, charges. And because the, the Crown believes that what he did, and he's part of that incel movement, that what he did is tantamount to terrorism. So the question that was posed to me was, what does the violence against women sector think about this move? And I, I was just sort of recovering from, not recovering, that's not the word, but I was just quietening my anxiety from the, the massacre in Nova Scotia. And part of that anxiety was around how does the, the criminal code Um, differentiate between your, and I'm using air quotes, common and garden femicide, you know, male-hating partner who kills his his spouse or his girlfriend. How does the legal system differentiate between that guy and these incel people who then go on a rampage and kill multiple people? And trying to explain to the community at large that this is this is what we in the VAW violence against women sector we've known that it's a mindset that it's a a sort of a white supremacy um, misogynistic male dominated um consciousness raising that's happening predominantly in the west but globally how do we explain to the rest of the world the rest of society what you people are are seeing now is what we've been dealing with for for decades and so my mental noise was again around how incel femicides take out multiple women right they take out multiple people in one instance um your and garden and i I hate using this but there's a way to distinguish but your abuser who kills his wife takes out one woman each Person's life is tragic. Each person's life's loss is, tra- is a tragedy. But the fact that it ha- that you know in in a day, ten women were murdered, just like in the van attack in Toronto a couple of years ago. In one day, twenty two people were murdered. It's just that that the calamity of the numbers mm. is what I find so hard to catch my breath over. Mm. Right? and I I I I don't know what to do with that i i really don't know so that that's been my mental noise all day today and it will be going forward plus the fact that people are looking for who is the quote incel expert in canada and we don't have one yeah there, there isn't anybody who's really looking at this movement and the the risks the real risks it poses to all women because it's not you know you and your partner who is posing a risk to you This is some guy who you don't know from a blade of grass who will take his van, take his gun, take his knife, and just go into a place and just start stabbing, start shooting. So none of us are safe. Mm -hmm. And none of us were safe. If anybody thinks that we were, none of us were safe. This is about male supremacy and white supremacy. And and because the the person is 17, his identity is, is, is protected, Is hidden. So we don't know his ethnicity, we don't know anything about him. But again, I don't know whether I'm willing to put a money on it, but it is probably going to be some young white boy. I don't know, I'm just saying, prove me wrong. <laughs> That's my mental noise.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a lot. Uh, <laughs> no. Yet
0: not sorry, yet not.
1: Not sorry at all, I don't know. And I think that, I think that probably, maybe some of our listeners don't actually know what incel means. And I think to, you know, go forth and actually look that up and look at that movement that's happening. I think that's important. Um, success. Uh, my success this week is I did some work in the past few weeks that I am like very proud of. um, and I think that like being in this uh, pandemic and trying to be as productive as possible while other things are happening and you're going through you know intimate stresses like you know personal ones but also like global ones mm-hmm. um, and so I think that like having work that you've done <laughs> is like something to be proud of. <laughs> so I'm I'm 100. Uh, I did some work that I'm super proud of and then. Um, another success is that the trails opened up again, uh, like, uh, trails, like walking trails and stuff like that. And so, uh, we went for a trail, like a hike the other day on a new trail. And it was honestly the most beautiful trail I've seen. It's close to my house. Like, it's like less than 10 minutes away. Hmm. And there's like waterfalls, not like not like big waterfalls, but like river waterfalls and like stuff like that. And it's one of the nicest hikes I've seen. And I can't believe that we've lived here this long without knowing about it. <laughs> so, um, anyway, Chris found it on an app called All Trails. And so, if anybody, supposedly it's all over Canada. So, if you look at an app called All Trails, and this is not at all sponsored by them, but they did provide me with this amazing trail. So, yeah, that's been my success work and then also fun. <laughs>
0: I love that. And you didn't, Shalina, name the success and work. But I'm presuming that it's the same thing that I'm thinking of. Uh, We've we've been working on an initiative for the past three years called, what basically looking for an an alternative model of justice for sexual violence survivors. And so we conducted a series, and we've talked about this also in, in, I think, two podcasts thus far. But the final report to the funder, Women in, the Department of Women and Gender Equality, is due at the end of May. And so Shalina, our wonderful, my darling, lovely co-host and colleague at the organization, took on the monumental, well, she didn't take on, you had to bloody well do it because that was your responsibility, Miss Project Coordinator. Yeah. But she wrote this 260 page, 69 pages to be exact, <laughs> um report that has then the sort of was then passed around to our other colleagues Nicole Fontaine-Taylor and Kara Jones and Shirley Brookstra to edit and when did it come back to me Tuesday, Monday,
1: Tuesday? Uh
0: when did it come to you? Yes the final Saturday, day-
1: Saturday, Saturday I got,
0: I got I got part of it on Saturday yeah. and then the second part um whatever it was so i i've been in that meantime in the month beginning of the month of may i was working on on designing um a template that would showcase the report in a way that was really accessible easy to read because a lot of the information is really heavy and so when i i finally got the final edit from the team and as I was reading through it, I was blown away. I was honestly, honestly, honestly blown away. I sent Shilina a text about the, just even the, the bloody dedication made me weepy, right? It's, it's such a, it is such a, a fantastic document and is a testament to the work of survivors, right? And and the, the declarations of survivors and how we, we, despite the trauma we are the people who are actually bringing forth things that will change the world change the way things are done and i am when i again looking at the success i i feel that this is such a a monumental success that's going to set the organization apart which we already are but it will also it's a career changing thing right it's a life changing thing it's an organizational change of thing. It's a personal changing thing. And and I'm just so incredibly proud of my team. Shalina, Amanda was an instrumental part of, oh my God, reading the transcripts and, you know, editing. I'm just, yeah, that's that's a huge success. And I'm going to actually segue into the gratitude, right? Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Part of that success comes with the people who helped to create this document, right? So my gratitude, I've said it, goes to Shalina, it goes to Amanda, it goes to Shirley, it goes to Nicole, it goes to Kara, it it goes to all our placement students who, who participated over the last three years in helping us to develop this model. And it really, really, really at the heart of it, at the heart of it, goes to all of the incredible women survivors who shared their their trauma right they they trusted us with with their trauma having faith that we will do something fundamental something foundational something earth shifting with it and i'm just just so grateful to be a survivor
1: Mm, i really am there we go um My gratitude is, I guess, just, like, the universe sending you things when you need it. Um, I think that, like, over the past couple weeks, or over the past, I guess, week mostly, no, the last two weeks, I've had, like, so many things that the universe has kind of sent my way to um, show me that, like, I'm going in the right direction or I'm on the right path or that something is, you know, if I have uncertainty about it, all of a sudden there's like certainty. And so uh, I went on Instagram and I saw this poem and it was like the first thing I saw and I think I really needed to see it. And so I'm going to read it because it's very short. Um, And it it's from I am brilliant. Like that's the Instagram page. And so it says you can forgive someone and still want absolutely nothing to do with them. You can create distance from someone with no resentment attached. Love and attachment have nothing to do with each other. I can love you just as intensely from a distance. There's no mileage on my love. Some connections require space to survive. Some need to die in order to be reborn. Some connections need to be released for you to breathe. And I think that that's like, so powerful. And I think that anybody listening can probably get their own thing of what they need from that. Um, but just, just like really realizing that love and attachment 2 things that were told so much about just this perspective, because I'm sure other people will have other perspectives. Um, anyway, it was just the universe sending me that at a time where I think I needed to like concretely know that. Um, so anyway, that's definitely my gratitude.
0: I love that. I love that. So, uh, we are going to have a fantastic conversation today with one of our members, uh, Jamie Torek, who is joining us from Sault Ste. Marie. And we're going to talk about what it's like being a, a survivor and a parent, and a survivor and a parent raising sons. So Join us. This week, we are so excited because we get to talk to one incredible, absolutely incredible, inspiring survivor who is cheering, uh, leading our Susan Marie chapter, Jamie Torek. So Welcome, welcome, Jamie. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Well, we're very excited. We're very, very excited. And it actually... is in to part of my gratitude as you know you you heard but it's again around how women survivors are such an incredible powerful force and when we put our minds to it the stuff that we do the mountains that we move is just inspirational so this is an opportunity for our listeners to get to meet another dynamic warrior who is doing incredible work and in fact you know what i'm going to let jamie introduce herself how about that yeah, for sure. Um, so my
3: name is Jamie Torok. And uh, yes, consider myself a survivor for sure. Um, and also very excited to be here because uh, in my own experiences, I had um, done a lot of work and reached out to a lot of organizations. And it wasn't until Women at the Center where I really um, found a place, a place to be heard, mm-hmm. a place to connect with survivors, uh, and, and a place Place to make a difference and so this is for me um we're still in the early stages of it but so excited for for all the things that we're going to do and how we're mm-hmm. going to make a difference and that's that's the big thing for me how do I take my experience and and bring
0: about good positive change beautiful well, I, th- I think that should be our, our motto we do have a good motto but this is an addendum to it that's beautiful today uh J- Jamie and we're going to have a conversation about children, in particular, boys, boy children, boy sons, which is what you call male children. Um, you can tell I, I've had way too many, and it's only 5.41, um, <laughs> I know, day drinking, what a, what a joy. We're going to talk about our sons and the the challenges and the sort of the joys of raising young boys into Into grown men who are phenomenal, they're kind and compassionate. And I know you've got two sons, right, Jamie? I do. I have have two
3: boys. So I have Adrian, who just turned 22. Mm -hmm. And then, because I like to give it some space, I have Brooks, who will be six in August. I like to have a child every
0: 15 or 16 years and keep on doing. And so far, so good. I'm actually here for that. Good for you. Good for you. So Adrian and Brooks. And, and, and just off the bat, have you noticed any difference between them in terms of, because people always have this assumption that boys behave the same boys are the same, but I'm curious to ask a mother who has two sons. And again, because of the age disparity, what are the differences between them?
3: Oh, um, they are very different uh, and different. um Different personalities, different challenges, for sure. Um, in all honesty, sometimes I look at, you know, my five-year-old and I'm like, did Adrian do this? Did your older brother do this? But it's been mm-hmm. so long, and that's the trick. You just wait a really long time and you forget. <laughs> <laughs> so so it feels new, but it might not be. But uh, yes, they're very different, but they but they both have very good, kind hearts. Hmm. and uh very funky personalities might be a little dna in there
0: um but yes yes very where, where do you think the where do you think the kindness comes from um
3: you know i'd like to think that all people are just born with it um and and which is part of the topic because you know you wonder if there's a little bit of stray from it sometimes i try to uh imitate it and to teach it i if i want kindness from my sons i show them kindness if i want patience i i show them patience beautiful i try to live what i would expect from them and 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 not use some of those other experiences that you know perhaps i've experienced and they have um so yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I do. I, I do hope that and believe that we're born with that kindness, um, and we just got to build on that empathy with our experiences.
0: I love that. I love that. When my son was when Alexander was five, I, I, my team know this. When Alexander was five, that was when he decided that he he was going to be vegan, a vegetarian actually, sort of vegetarian, and his thing was around they had done a um a school project on the food chain and he realized that you know there were other sources of nutrition and food that didn't involve should not involve animals and couldn't understand why we had a, a golden retriever at the time called six it was beautiful and he couldn't understand why you know people would never think of eating six and yet people would eat cows and chickens and so at five he said he's not going to eat animals and i thought that is the mark of an empathetic human being, right? That not only are you feeling sort of this warmth and love towards other humans, you're extending it beyond yourself at five and seeing other creatures as being worthy. So I agree with you that we, we are born with it. And when, every time I talk about, again, we have the conversation about men, I think about the partners of these two wonderful women sitting on my team, Amanda's partner, Zach, Shalina's partner, Christopher, again, representative of kind, empathetic men. And I'd actually like to ask, this is sounding like Neckers doing an Oprah bit. I'm interviewing all of you. I'd actually like to, like to ask both Shaleen and Amanda, how were your, your partners raised? Were they all single parents? Were they raised by their mothers? What role did their fathers play?
1: Uh, I can answer first. That was
0: off the, off, off the cuff, I don't you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So Chris was mostly raised by a single mom. His parents broke up when he was young, like really young, maybe even before he was one or something. Um, And so he was mostly raised by a single mom. Um, He did see his dad every other weekend and his dad remarried pretty quickly. And so um, he still has a relationship with them. But like when you talk to him about, who raised him and who made like a larger imprint on him. I think it was his mom. He wasn't that close with his dad. There were also like um, issues with substance use and stuff like that, that interfered with like a meaningful relationship. And I think that um, that has led to issues with Chris surrounding like father figures and stuff like that. Mm. Um, And yeah, yeah, I find Chris to be one of the most thoughtful, kind exquisite people. And I think a lot of that goes to his mom and a lot of that goes to seeing the harm that his dad caused in different ways to various people um, and kind of resisting to be against that.
0: Mm. That's beautiful.
2: Amanda? Um, Zach's parents split up, but not until Zach was older. Like, I think he was in, like, kind of later high school years. Um, So He was, like, his formative years growing up, he had both parents. Um, And I think, I think from, like, what he's talked about, it really feels like he had both parents that were raising him. Like, it doesn't feel like Hmm. there was one that really took a lead. I'm sure I could ask both his parents and I would get different answers. (laughs) Um, But for the most part, I think Zach really does think of both of his parents as having – like, pretty equal roles mm. in his, like, upbringing. Um, I will say, like, he's one of two boys as well, and so when you were asking, like, oh, do you see a difference between the two boys? It's funny, because I, like, I was thinking of Zach and his brother, who are so similar, but so different, just like you were saying about your sons, Jamie. Um But, and I mean, I could only speak to that as Zach's partner. I'm sure his mom could, again, like (laughs) you were saying, like note so many different things, but I do think, yeah, like having, just like seeing Zach, who was raised kind of by both parents versus like, for like, just like, not that you asked about this, Nika, but like someone like my brother who was raised by a single mom, I'm like, oh, I think there's something to say about that single mom energy sometimes. Like, I think (laughs) that that um, definitely has um, an impact in a different way. But yeah, like, Mm. I I totally agree. Zach is so kind and empathetic and patient. Like, Zach is one of the most patient people I know, Mm. um, which is something I deeply admire. I
0: love that. So, Jamie, do you want to i mean feel free to share as much or as little as, as you're comfortable with but how did you get to where you are today
3: um well where where i am today um you know whether it be just kind of i'm a single mom and uh you know whether it's you know i have a boy who's in university at carleton and then i have a a 5 year old and um, it's funny because the gratitude that I have now for all my past experiences um, is amazing because I think, how can I take this and, and, and share it um, and also use it, you know, for the next generation, which are my boys, actually. You might even have the <laughs> skipped a skipped generation, the way I space them out. Um, but, you know, for me, it's something that's very much a part of my life every day. It's what I think about and including reaching out to women at the center because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to have these experiences in my life and it's not the first experience for me, um, but I didn't want to have these experiences and not do something good with it. Right. Um, so whether it be in the world um, in the courts and all the other different, uh, levels that it touches. Um, but also with my boys. So it, it's funny because, because they're so different in age and they have, um, a bit different experience now. Uh, so Adrian was raised in that, in a marriage that, um, that involved abuse. And so, uh, so for us, it wasn't with my, my husband, it wasn't, uh, physical abuse. and that experience alone has taught me so much because I think I didn't understand the impacts of all the other, um, abuse, which is violence. And I, and I know that now. Um, so watching the impacts on my son and I do, I do thank my son, my oldest son, Adrian, because it was him who brought it to light.
1: Hmm.
3: Um, and, and, and I'll be honest, he you know, was suffering from depression and anxiety um later on because of this and then um and it it, what started it was a a new child his new little brother coming into the the home and the family Mm. in the picture and that seemed to be what sparked it and uh and so the journey i wouldn't it would take hours and hours to talk about what got us from there to here Um, but fast forward now and so with my oldest boy I learned so much, not only from what he had seen, but then I was uh, kind of learning, okay, so now you've been raised this as the norm. Um, and it's funny because, uh, Necca when you talked about your son becoming a vegetarian, the truth is, I, I mean, I believe that we're, you know, born with that kindness, but there's also the norm. And, and so the norm was, you know, to eat cows, but we don't eat dogs or cats. And so, and then the norm in your home, what's the norm in your home? And so- nice. One of the big things I said to my son, Adrian, after much later um, was, okay, so if um, if there were 40 abusive things happening and you recognized 20 were abusive, um, but there could have been 20 other things happening that um, by no fault of your own, you didn't recognize it as abuse. And my part in that was kind of letting it happen and letting it go um, and, and basically setting the foundation that this is how... Uh, a married couple behaves and treats each other. Um, so, so here are these 20 things that you might have picked up that you might think is is normal, and and really, it's not. And so, you know, I told my son, so there. Here's these things, and um, it's not your fault. But now it's your responsibility to know that these things aren't okay, and Beautiful. let's not carry these forward. Beautiful. So, that's um, that's a big thing. Of course, he's off in university, and I, you know, I can't really even comment on his um, relationships. Um, but he was in a long-term relationship, and um, you know, uh, I hoped that that didn't include some of those things. But I really did. There was a long time where I I was uh, quite upset with myself, even because I, you know, by living in this example was potentially teaching my son that this was okay and he obviously noticed that some of it wasn't because he he came forward and and spoke out about it um so so with him i hope that you know after you know this um all of these years of you know witnessing and living these experiences you know what did what did i teach him um in in you know my situation and then actually it took a lot of explaining too I I had to learn and and to vocalize with him uh you know why women stay and different things like that so that's Mm -hmm. a big part of it too and you you almost got to balance um you know the the part of you that's you know you were always looking for the good in people and I and I I applaud women survivors for that because that's what you're doing that's Mm -hmm. my belief we were looking at the good, looking at the positive, and focusing on that, um, and we wanted to help them. I'm assuming, you know, people were like me, you know, I can help them, and it's just this, and it's just that, and we have a whole list of excuses, and it's our empathy and our compassion. Um, so then you're balancing that, you know. Okay, so I want to have empathy and compassion for human beings, but I also need to teach now that um, I also have to remove myself for my own well-being and my children's yeah. well-being. And so this is something that I'm hoping that the stuff I do after the fact will show him too, and continue to show him, um, you know, what's come of that and, and what that was about, and and how he can be different too.
0: That is so beautiful and really resonates with me because. I I think about the life that I lived with my children and their father, and how I spent, I invested a lot of personal capital Mm -hmm. into maintaining this charade, right, and trying to figure out ways to. In my mind, I was shielding my children and still staying, right, because your whole lives are intertwined, and recognizing in sort of, I think my aha moment was when I I realized that my son was viewing a very distant, uh, the the male figure that was residing in his vicinity, right? In his home was a very distant individual. But Alexander was very affectionate. He, He was raised by women, right? Myself, his older sister and his younger sister. And we were constantly cuddling, constantly, you know, hugging. And for him not to be seen that mirrored in the male figure, I didn't want him to think that that is what men do and that what women do is be emotionally present and available. So that was one of an aha moment for me that I realized that this is not what I want my son to learn. And also I I had the, the, um, the example of my dad, right? I was raised by a single man, a single parent who was my father, who was very emotionally present, right? And hard and praised and attended all events. And my kids knew that. So I hear you when you talk about the norm and sort of bucking, resisting the norm in the way we raise our children. But I also think there's a really important lesson that I didn't learn myself and therefore was unable to teach my children until much, much after, actually when I got involved in advocacy. And that lesson was that it wasn't there wasn't anything I could have done, right? So it, it's not, it wasn't that I chose to stay, but I, he, he chose to abuse, right? And so, so shifting that lens and having my children, especially my son, understand that this type of violence is a choice that men make. And that bec- when you have when that knowledge that it is a choice, that is where power resides, because you can choose to figure out different ways to respond to conflict and you know resistance etc so i i i hear you when you talk about you know opportunities to shift the norm but it's it really takes a light bulb moment for women to think yeah, wait a minute wait a minute there was sod all i could have done to you know control change his behavior that is all on him and then having my son understand that by the same token he has agency right he has autonomy over the way he responds to people and situations so i i
1: yeah i'm gonna drink (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that i think um when we talk about like if your son learned anything jamie i think him coming forward with those 20 points Is him showing you that he actually did build some sort of critical eye or lens or analysis of the world, and he's seen that as problematic, and those behaviors as problematic, and so I think that's already like saying how much you have taught him through whether that be your experience or what he's kind of like been seeing in the world, and and being able to identify those things as you know not good behaviors, yeah.
3: Yes, yes, I and I and I hope so. And I think about some of the stuff that he's been involved in since then. Um, he's taking environmental studies, for example, and he snuck in a children in the law course in there. Yeah. Uh, and then he also um, there was, and I, I I won't get the name of the course right, but I know he's been talking to a prof a that um, he said, you know, mom, you should talk to her because she, uh, you know, is an um, I guess maybe an expert on. Um, abuse and violence towards women and I thought okay okay so there are things that are coming out of this there are interests and empathies that are growing out of this and that's good that is that's you know fantastic and and that could very well end up being his life path and and that makes me very excited if my son goes out and champions um you know for to to end violence and and abuse and and uh women um that that would be yes the ultimate yeah
0: i I love that i love that um i have a, a i have a thing around just to get off topic but still on digression but on point the whole thing about who is the expert because um And and, and I don't know this professor that your son, Carlton, that your son is talking about, but one of the things that took me a minute, and I mean literally 60 seconds to think, oh nope, that's not it, was the, the perception that people in academia who do the research and speak to women and then take all our information and then write articles that they are the experts. It took me 60 seconds to realize, actually, it's women who you're mining for that information who are the experts. So trying to to shift that narrative right that understanding of where expertise is it would be lovely and when your son listens to to this do, this podcast to know that his mother is actually the expert because of the life that you've lived the lessons that you've learned and your abilities to to extrapolate right to take all of these lessons and actually then go out to change systems that's where expertise is so Here's cheers to the expertise of women survivors. We're all <laughs> drinking our glasses. <laughs> I know.
1: So, Jamie, you talked about how your two sons are a bit different. And I know when we had a different podcast uh, episode that Amanda and I were on, and we were talking about the children's uh, perspective of being in a home that has, like, abuse in it, we kind of talked about all the people that were in the podcast, which was me, Amanda and Kara, we were actually the oldest children. And so we had a very different perspective on the abuse, on like the marriage between those two partners and things like that than what we thought our younger siblings would say. So do you see a difference in kind of what your older son has seen and then kind of what your younger son has seen and and what kind of implications does that have on both of them?
3: Um okay, so uh, absolutely. Um, so with Adrian, of course, he was, uh, you know, um, in in the in the marriage, in the family for you know basically his entire life until about seventeen, eighteen when um, when things uh, when when we left, basically. and um, so for him, uh, big he always had big concerns for his brother, and that's what kind of brought it about and really made him um, struggle with what he struggled with um, and not wanting to see his little brother endure those things. Um, so now for Brooks, my younger boy who is now five, he um, was an infant, uh, I wanna say about 15 months when the separation actually occurred. Now that's, um, that's after a year, a uh, little bit over a year of trying to separate. So there was a very long period, um, and I'm sure other women have experienced this, uh, where you say, I want to leave, I want to go, um, and, and you're vocalizing that. For me, it was on a daily basis. And what I was met with was basically no. <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, trying to, trying to get out. Um, how do I get a home? Um, you know, apartments are expensive. It's it's actually cheaper for a mortgage in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, trying to go to the bank and finding out, okay, well, you already have a mortgage. You need a separation agreement. Okay, well, he won't give me one. How do I do this? Mm. Um, so there was a long period of that. And so, of course, with that came a lot more tension in the house. And, uh, and I mean, this could be a whole other topic because I feel like now I see a lot of residual things in my 5 year old that are a result of of what he witnessed, even in that time of trying to separate. And I have my own opinion on those things, and I'm I'm not a child psychologist, but I can see where some of these you know things have have brought about some other anxieties in him. Well, think, things like what? Things like what? Um, well, my son uh, definitely has very big separation anxiety when it comes to me, and this of course has been witnessed by all of our friends and and the people at the gas station because when I pump gas even I have to open the back window and show him that I'm there and this is very real and I've got plenty of books on my end table about childhood anxiety now where I'm trying to learn tools on how to deal with that and and show my son that he's safe and and like I said I um you know my opinion on where these these things have come from you know whether it's regular just normal childhood anxiety or if it's a result of what happened in the home and, and there was a lot of um you know he had been it would it was just him and I as an infant and then all of a sudden part of the separation was um my ex-husband taking him taking him and, and bringing him you know to his parents or elsewhere and there was that separation that you can't communicate to uh you know, a 14 or 15 month old baby. And there was a lot of things that um, would, you know, come, you know, happen afterwards when he was returned home and, and things like that. So a lot of, you know, and these are the kinds of things that it's a whole other topic of what women have to face when you do leave because the courts don't understand that and they don't look at that there's two parents and both parents have a right to that child and it's a very very long process uh, and trying to show you know kind of what's going on in the home so that was inevitable and if I'm being honest there was a time where my older son said why are you letting him take him and I had to say Adrian I don't have a choice um, and so that was heartbreaking. There was a point where my son said, then you should have stayed. Um, and so that's a whole other, you know, thing. Um, but yes, yeah, so there's there's some other things, but we, you know, I can't change the past. And so I don't dwell on it. I continuously look for ways to, to show him that he's safe, that he's loved, that he's supported, uh, including in his time with his father. And there are things that come up all the time and i'm I'm constantly looking for different uh, ways and tools to make sure that my son grows knowing that, you know if there is anger, it's not about him. Um, and that you know it's okay to express your feelings. Um, and just kind of teaching him those things. So we have a lot of books on feelings, and and they' they've been fantastic because my son will actually point to things and talk about situations and say, oh, that happened or this was like that. And he uses his words a lot, and I, I try to encourage him to express his feelings, and then just doing um, as much as I can on my end to not only teach him, um, you know, that he's loved and safe, um, but also I've got to counteract some things, and that's a big, that's a, a very big thing for me, and it will continue on, where I have to, um, even just by the way I live, I have to demonstrate that um, that we're all worthy that we're all equal. Um, Even a topic such as toys, there are some different ideals. Um, And, and so my son does have um, uh, Barbie dolls and baby dolls, and he loves them. And there's been conversations (laughs) that he's shared with me and then asked me to share with my ex why we're okay, and we're justified in in playing with these dolls, and uh, I'll, I'll mention a book right now, uh, "Dear Boy," fantastic book where it teaches boys that it's okay to play with dolls and trucks and both. And so I I tend to kind of point to facts when I can and use that as my support. Um, but but yeah, it's just really counteracting for me those things, and I'm still learning. I'm learning as I go, and so my example is trying to be a very strong independent loving woman demonstrating my worthiness my value my children's worthiness and their value and and treating people with respect so we even have books about that books about patience books about respect books about anger um and even finding your peaceful spot when you're you know feeling certain feelings and so i'm trying to do everything i can to make sure that the cycle doesn't continue and that it doesn't, you know, internalize for him. Because this is the the big thing is, we can't control other people's behavior. So learning that it wasn't my fault, I couldn't help him, I couldn't change him. And there wouldn't have been anything I could have done more, better, different. Um, and I have, you know, once you go to court and you start looking at the facts, one of the best things I learned was looking at the evidence. And when I started looking at the evidence, I started coming out of the gaslighting that I had lived in and went, wait a minute here's proof on paper about this, this, and this. Um, So I know it was beyond my control. and, uh, and, And you can't really change people. So even for my own boys, I can't change who they decide to be. I can influence them. So it's my realm of influence. And what will I do? Um, in the precious time that I have with them? And what example will I be? One of the big things I try to teach my boys is to be courageous. And so a big part of joining Women at the Center, and you've already demonstrated how courageous you all are, and I'm very excited, um, is, you know, how can I tell them, you know, be kind and be brave and be courageous um, if if I don't use my experiences and be courageous despite what may, you know, come from it? And so including this podcast, because of course, I'm sharing some things here that some people will not be a fan of. (laughs) Um, So yeah, but it's, you know, we have to be brave. If we're going to make a difference, we have to speak up, we have to be brave. Um, And we really have to say, you know, uh, this isn't okay. And this isn't the norm. And yeah, and so this is what I'm trying to do.
0: There are we're talking. So sorry, sorry, <laughs> Shalina. I, because I have to jump in here because I can see your face glowing because Jamie, everything you said, everything you said, resonated not just with me personally because it reflects my own journey, my own experiences, but it also taps into a lot of the work that Christina, Christina, that Shalina did during her her, her masters, and I know that's where you want to jump in, right, Shalina?
1: Well, <laughs> there were so many things that you said there that first of all when you're talking about separation anxiety we're on zoom because we're all practicing physical distancing because of covid19 and so i can see amanda's face uh who was also in the podcast where we talked about kids of survivors and i know both of us talked about having um separation anxiety from our moms and always wanting to make sure that they were safe and always wanting to like make sure that if we had to be the ones to save them like we also would not just them but also our smaller siblings too so even when you're talking about the protective nature of your older son like we totally get that so that was definitely one thing i wanted to point out i think one thing that you said at the end about wanting to demonstrate that you're courageous and brave i think is so important but i think you haven't like you're you're already doing that by by living each day and by doing what you've done and what it sounds like you've done, like you're already showing us how courageous and brave you are. And I'm sure your sons have seen that well before we have. Um, and I think that like, I'd like to kind of talk more about that transformative, um, like critical discussion and like that dialogue that you have with your sons, because I think that's so important to talk about um, like feelings even, right? Like to have boys, young boys that are growing up be able to, not only talk about feelings, but identify feelings and identify how they're feeling. And instead of that coming out as like a punch or going and locking themselves in a room or something like that, if they're able to actually talk through that, I think that's, first of all, so important. And second of all, you are counter-storing what they've kind of, you know, grown up with and things like that. And so having those discussions, even about the dolls, I think that like, it's so important because we hear, I think a lot of things are put on the mother a lot of the time, right? So even like the woman of like, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you do this? If kids are looked at in a certain way, it's usually like seen as the mother's fault. We have like this whole mothering, obsession with mothering in this society. And so I think being able to show your sons to play with dolls and that that's not mothering that that's actually fathering that's actually something that should be built up and to be a father is something that is or can be amazing and you can also be like um you know you can also emote and you can do all those things as a father so i don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about those transformative discussions that you've had with your sons or like what what kind of reaction they've had from those cuz i think those are what listeners maybe would find so helpful
3: um absolutely so well uh, since I was talking about Brooks my younger boy I can honestly say um you know even to to talk about the feelings um that has been a big thing because he he will he will mimic um uh you know maybe a, a tool in the book but or and he'll use the words he'll say mom I'm really frustrated right now Or he'll, you know, share a story with me and he'll say, well, they were angry like this and and this is what I did. And and keeping those lines of communication open, and and I'm not a psychologist, but I I feel like that might have been where it um, maybe had led to some of the depression and anxiety with my older son. So it wasn't just that, you know, he was experiencing this type of abuse. And unworthiness—that's a big word. That's been a big word for us, and teaching worthiness, including to myself. But um, just he—I don't think he ever really had the opportunity to talk about his feelings, to talk about what he was seeing, what was happening. Um, and he, you know, didn't really necessarily have those male role models. And so I, I'm very fortunate now that he's older. Um, you know he has a role model in my father which has been fantastic but he also has you know a a boy I just didn't say a boy a man that he played on various sports with and they became very close um, and he opened up to them I I did later learn too that a lot of my older son's coaches he was able to open up to them and he told me after you know that he had shared with them some of the stuff in our home Um, and actually uh, I, I even had letters from Uh, my son's coaches and principal and teachers about my son. uh, Because unfortunately, in our court case, there was a very big attack on my son, which just demonstrates the type of, you know, abuse, right? When you blame children for the breakdown of a marriage. But, um, you know, I think for him, I thought, you know, how long did he have to wait to talk to somebody to express his feelings to, you know, even just to understand, because I was normalizing it, not not that i was but it was you know it's hard to even go back um and explain and i actually will give this example because i remember telling my lawyer at one point when it finally hit me and it registered i said you know it's like being in the eye of a tornado and you see it and it's flying around and it's happening but you don't really understand what's happening because there's a lot of other stuff being thrown at you and so it's not until you get away and you look back you know, in the rearview mirror and you see that tornado and you say, Oh, that's what was happening. Mm. So you know, I think a big part of it was, you know, Adrian couldn't express his feelings because, you know, we're kind of in the eye of the tornado and, and I'm not even sure was I right, was I wrong? Did I cause this? What's happening here? Um and so yeah, it's very important for me to to do what I can for my younger one. To be able to express feelings, um, I can't control what happens at the other home, and I know that, and I have to let that go um, because I'm, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, um, I don't want to say powerless, but I know where my power lies. My power will lie in my examples, um, in what I do in the community. Um, so I have to demonstrate this. I have to live it. I have to have it in our own home, um, and also, you know, it's even funny because my son and I'm just going to put it the way he did because it's kind of. Kind of a chuckle but he says you know mom if you could get a guy to like you (laughs) um could you get one that has this and does this and you know some more kids and 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 I use that as an opportunity I said you know some boys do like mom (laughs) but uh, I'm waiting for somebody that really really is good for all of us and, and good for me good for you good for all of us and who who has some of the same, you know, beliefs and some of the same lifestyles and and um, things like that. So, and I try to focus on some of these words we lose, use about, you know, somebody who has patience, somebody who has respect, somebody who's, you know, coming from a place of love and who has the same joy and happiness that we do. my son just thinks I can't get a date and it's a little part of me that goes well wait a minute I'm pretty sure somebody likes me I mean they haven't knocked at the door
0: but I'm pretty sure a lot of people like you just don't don't go well you know what go I was about to say don't go on any of those apps go Jamie go wherever you need to go um, no but I think that's, that's a whole other podcast i do
3: have it stories is. for you that is a <laughs> it very is. <laughs> it will be funny um and they're all true stories they're they're great stories at parties yeah
1: okay. but no i think that's i think that's an amazing opportunity to have examples right in like role modeling and utilizing community for that and i think that like you definitely showed us how you do that and, and not even just utilizing community, but like you're almost in your words and in your thoughts of what you're telling him that you're looking for, you're almost creating a role model in in his head. And I think that's I think that's very very powerful as well.
0: Um, and can I, I can I? I'm sorry, Shalini. I just yeah. want to uh, speak a little bit on that thing about creating role models and creating the type of people. I, I tell my son. I tell Alexander all the time about how I raised him to be the type of man that I would want his sisters to marry, right? or the type of man that I would want to marry. And that guy was modeled on my dad. right? And I have two older bro- two brothers, one older and one younger, who are equally spectacular. And so figuring out what characteristics are, are, are sort of kind and centered are important to then show them right and then and then in the showing, they get to understand how those types of characteristics actually lead to really positive, inclusive, engaging, loving mutually uh, a mutual partnership and and again, my team have met Ellen, my son's fiance
1: so have and the she, listeners so
0: have the listeners met yes. Ellen. And again, Alexander went and chose somebody who is actually quite outspoken, right? Like his mother and his sisters, very independent, like his mother and his sisters. And for the time we met her, we realized that all the, the things that we sort of layered on him, it stuck, right? <laughs> it, it took, it worked. So don't lose faith, don't lose heart. It's going to work. It's working. It's yeah. working. Sorry, Shaleen, I I interjected.
1: No, I love that. I think that, I guess one other kind of uh, question that I had is when it comes to power sharing, I saw this, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a TikTok, I guess. That's what they are, <laughs> what you see on TikToks. Anyway, I saw this um, example and it was of a dad who had teenage daughters. And he said that as hard as it is, he has been trying to encourage them to say no to him, like give them opportunities so that they say no to him as like a, as like a power differential, at, like in terms of parent, but also in terms of gender. And so I wonder to both Jamie and Neka, how did you kind of, because you're not trying to lose power in that situation, right? But you are trying to, like as a woman, but you are trying to show them that they do have power because maybe the man in their life didn't show them that they had power, right? So how do you show them that they have power? But then also, how do you share that power in showing them that you as a woman also has power?
3: Um, oh, Nneka, did you want me to...
0: No. First of all, that's a flipping brilliant question, Shalina. But I'm <laughs> going to defer to Jamie, what do you think? Um, yeah, you know, and it's funny, you bring it up
3: and I had never thought about it until now, but... um. But it, you know because it, it brings me back to that worthiness um, and, and that's a big part of it I think uh, um, the worthiness and the equalness and the, um, and the power are all sort of the same thing for me and and so for me well with my youngest one I make sure that you know he knows I'm listening and and I try to give him choice give him decisions and and, and in all honesty, with my older boy, even he's, you know, away from the home and he's, you know, making his own choices. It's funny because he'll, you know, sometimes ask for my opinion. And now I've I've moved to uh, you know, it's a, a less um, well here's what I think you should do and more to what do you think you should do? And and I remind him at the end of the day, it's always gonna be okay we're always going to be okay. You're always going to be okay. And that's kind of been a little bit of a mantra of mine uh, lately is that, you know, everything just works out. Everything works out for me. Everything works out for you. Um, And so whatever you do, whatever decisions you make, don't put so much weight on yourself because at the end of the day, it will be okay. And, um, and, and trying to do that because, you know, with the power, at, everybody wants that that power and to be able to you know set their own life and and you know choose you know their own breakfast and whatever um, and to make their own decisions. But sometimes there's that fear of, but but if I make this decision for myself, where will I land and will it be okay? And and so it's like I you know trying to give you know some of that power and and teach them make decisions and and go with it and and at the end of the day it's
0: it's going to be just fine. It'll always be just fine. That's incredible. I didn't approach it that way, <laughs> to be honest. I, I realized um, I, had, I had a daughter first and then a son and then a daughter. And so when my son was born, I realized that even subconsciously, I realized that there had to be a different way to signal to him that he, his maleness was not uh, an entitlement to therefore dominate and make the decision. And so as much as I'd like to take credit for having him, Alexander in the middle, I cannot, but he's in the middle and he's in the middle of two girls. As I said, anyone who knows his sisters knows that they are very independent minded because like their mother, right? independent minded, they'll speak their, speak their truth. And will challenge anybody that tells them otherwise again because of their mother. But part of the consciousness raising for me was when it came to, for example, the school that he went to. Um, the choice was either put him at uh, UCC Upper Canada College, which is an all boys, very macho, very patriarchal, very old school, predominantly white um private school or you know keep him in a um a co-educational again private school but co-ed where he would be surrounded with female voices that were not his mother's or his sisters Mm -hmm. and to me it was critical that he stayed in that space because he needed to learn how to listen to women right and listen to women who would not just i have to listen because it's my mum i have to listen because it's my sisters I have to listen because i have to share the space so to your point Shalina, about sharing power when you're in a co-ed school that is run pro- properly like shout out to bayview glenn in a co-ed school <laughs> that is run properly boys and girls hold power and so alexander staying in that environment where he had to whether he wanted to or not but he, he wanted to he had to share the space share opinions you know be um, mindful of other opinions that were coming from other people who were not male like him, was important for me. In terms of again the, the sort of role modelling that gets layered on top of it, that you know echoes whatever the message I'm, I'm given, it was really difficult because we live in in Canada, and all of my siblings and my 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 brothers, my nieces and nephews, everybody else is in England so and even his dad's side nobody is in canada so in terms of immediate family there was nobody that alexander no other male cousins you know people in his life so he was surrounded by women and whether he wanted to or not he had to listen he had to listen but because it was presented in a way that was not emasculated and i think that's really critical it was presented to him in a way that wasn't intended to di- to diminish his, his masculinity or undermine him or blame him for you know the follies of the gender it was easier for him to acclimatize to that difference mm. that's, the, that's the only way I could I could frame it yeah. we need to have a conversation with these boys
1: <laughs> <laughs> we do I think this conversation is Absolutely incredible, and definitely, I could go on and on and on and asking you both so many questions. I know we're coming to time though. so um, Jamie, I'm wondering if if you kind of had something to say to other maybe parents that are going through this situation that are raising boys, boys that have maybe seen an abusive man or father figure in their life, I guess, like, what would you say to those mothers or those parents before? Yeah, with this conversation.
3: Um, wow, it would be a lot. It would be so much. And I'm still learning. Um, but one of the biggest things for me, anyway, is, um, and it sounds so simple, but it's uh, come from a place of love, honestly. I, and and I've learned to trust my own, my own gut, my own um, intuition, where I'm thinking, you know what, if it feels wrong, it's wrong. And if it feels right, it's right. Mm-hmm. And it's really that simple. And, um, and, I, and I don't quiet myself. And it's, um, so it's even with my, my five-year-old, if he talks about, you know, something, uh, this is for girls, or this is for boys. And and we have those conversations where I say, well, you know, it's less, it's built, you know, unless it's, you know, the the, the thing you wear for hockey, the jock, or unless it's, you know, um let's say a bra I did use this example now I sound terrible for this, but I did say that unless it was specifically built for that function then it's for everybody and then of course my son who does have some Barbie dolls asked if he could earn some money to buy them some bras okay ah. <laughs> but true true story I had a good laugh at that because they're so funny (laughs) yeah just um just always from a place uh, of love and I I think about that with everything so and it it stretches to the other parent too right yeah I have to I have to really be supportive and loving and so that he never feels those differences
1: yeah and Neca. um
0: I know that's, that's, let's, let's, that's another, if you get me started, I will, (laughs) yeah, we will be here for another two hours. But I, I, I I love where this conversation has gone. And I knew that Jamie was going to be a bloody rock star, superstar. Oh, oh, I don't know about that. So much with so I do, we do with so much to offer. And I think we're going to have to bring you back because I want to hear and I want we want our listeners to hear about the advocacy work that you're doing out in um, Susan Marine, and how you sort of marshaled advocacy as a uh, a, uh, a healing cloak. Mm. Right? That's something that's helped you to move beyond the trauma. So, I, I don't know, I'm just profoundly grateful. Shalina, this has been awesome, right?
1: It has, it's been an excellent discussion. Uh, one that we definitely needed. Since we had the conversation of kids of survivors, I think it's only also, you know, abundantly clear that we need the conversation of like the survivors themselves that have to raise kids. And in this specific circumstance, it was about boys and men, which I think is, you know, a very important conversation in itself. So yeah, thank you so much, Jamie, for thank you, Jamie, having this conversation with us. Um, now thank we do our me. oh, you're thank gonna you. come back. You're gonna come gonna back. back. <laughs> um, so now we do our checkout question. Uh, and our buzz rating. So we'll do our buzz rating first, and then I'll give the checkout question. So because again, we're all on Zoom because of COVID-19, we're all drinking different things. So I can go first. Um, I'm drinking open, and it's a Riesling Gutzraminer, and it's very, very good. I'm gonna give it a four out of five.
0: Wow, that is impressive. Jamie, what are you drinking?
3: I'm drinking uh, a Magnata Shiraz, so it's uh, Ontario wine, I think, from the Niagara region, um, and uh, I'm going to give it a five out of five. Wow! Uh, because I buy it a lot, <laughs> <laughs> I cannot give it a four and keep buying it.
0: Yeah. It's a staple in your household, like salt, is it? Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Love it. It's I good love with that. everything I eat. Oh, lovely, lovely. I can go. Um, I'm continuing with my love affair with New Zealand and uh, Jacinda Ardern, um, and I'm drinking a Babiche, that uh, a Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, and it is really, really delicious and fruity, and so I'm giving it a four point five.
2: Can you model it, Neka, so I can uh, take a picture? <laughs> model it 4.5 it's delicious 4.5 yes a lot it is a lot thank you amanda Amanda? um i'm drinking something kind of new for us um i was saying before we started recording i think because of covid normally like when i go to the lcbo or anything i just browse around and like see what labels are pretty or like what you know just but like i don't (laughs) want to do that right now and so I, we looked up like wines that we should try and I really like, um, sweeter white wines. My partner, not so much. He's more into reds. Um, but this wine was recommended if you liked Moscato's like a good way to try a red and it's, um, reunite Lambrusco and it's kind of, it's like, yeah, it's frizzante, So it's like kind of fizzy and you serve it like, like chilled or like, yeah. And so it's like, it borders the white red line and I really like it. So it like is getting me into red wine. I think you would like it too. It made me think of you as well. I'll try it. Yeah. And I think I will give it a 4.5 out of five. I really like it.
0: Wow. This is a good wine day.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad we're all enjoying it.
0: (laughs) This is a good wine day. So once again, thank you, Jamie. She is going to do her checkout question. Yeah. Um, you for it.
1: Okay. So I've been going back and forth between two this whole time. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask this one, and then I'll ask the other one in our next podcast. Um, if you could go back and experience one moment in your life a second time, what would it be?
0: <laughs> oh. Jamie? <So> are you- <laughs> oh,
3: my goodness. That is can we do what you wouldn't do again? Because <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's easy. I could. Can... Um, oh, wow. You know what? I'm going to draw on something very recent. Um, I took both my boys uh, to Cuba for Christmas. Oh. And it was fantastic. And, and thank goodness we went at Christmas time, because normally it would have been an April thing, and that wouldn't have happened with COVID. But um, we went to Cuba and I have some very beautiful m- memories captured in pictures of me and my two boys walking along the beach at a time where we're all very um, safe and happy and, and the appreciation for the, the sun and the sand and the warm weather and the freedom, the freedom to be happy. So I'm going to go with that. Oh,
0: wow. That's beautiful. I
2: love that.
0: That's beautiful. Amanda. I'm going to call on you. <laughs>
2: right? um, I thought of mine right away, and it's so cheesy. So like, I hate like. Uh, no such thing. No such thing. I, like, I just feel like my like hard exterior is just like fully gonna be broken with this. But like, Uh-oh. um, when Zach and I started dating, Zach, um, just the romantic that he is, he said I love you very quickly, <laughs> and I. And like very often, and I just kept dismissing it because I was like, he's doesn't know what he's talking about. But because of me being so dismissive of it, like I don't remember the first time he said it.
1: Hmm. Uh... And
2: so like, I remember when I said it to him for the first time, but I like don't remember the specific moment where like he said it to me the first time. And I wish I had that memory. Wow. So I wish I could go back and like sit in it and appreciate it and not be so freaking dismissive of it. Wow. I um, love that. Yeah. And like, he remembers it. He can tell me about it. And I'm like, yeah, it's not there. Like I literally oh, wow. like, no, you don't. And like dismissed it. And I'm like, now future Amanda hates myself for that. Cause now we've been together for like almost eight years. We're getting married. Like, I wish I had that memory, but yeah
1: super silly and easy. not silly at all that's a good one okay wow do you want me to go Naka or do you want to go Uh,
0: you know what mine is so it's so ridiculous I'm gonna go um, <laughs> because I, I want yours to sort of round us up back and bring us back into okay. happiness and life well actually this was happy I think I would go back and relive my first orgasm oh wow yeah <laughs> I'm still waiting for mine. Oh my goodness! That was a moment that I have held on to. I've had a couple, but nothing as earth shattering as that first time. And he knows who he is.
1: Do you know? (laughs) And and actually,
0: actually, he invited me. yesterday for let's let's go to and i'm saying yeah but there's still covid and he says don't worry about it and i'm i'm actually thinking about it
1: i think you should do it number one and number two what i love about this what i love about your answer neka is we told jamie at the start of this conversation to just pretend that we were all around her kitchen table having wine because this is you know just a conversation and NECA just showed us all up to. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Usually it's me getting all sexual on the podcast, not you, NECA. <laughs> um. Okay, mine. I. I'm going between two. Um, so I'm going to say them both, uh, because I couldn't pick possibly. But uh, the first one is <laughs> what. So that's cheating. Just to be I know, clear, <laughs> I know it is cheating, but I literally have like eighty-seven or probably more that I'd like to go back to. So, but I think the two that like stand out in my mind the most is um when we were in Peru. The first one was when we were in Peru, and we had just completed the Inca Trail, which is a four-day trek to Machu Picchu, and you wake up at like two a.m. You stand in a like you stand at the gate. And then you go up at 5 a.m. to see Sungate, which is, like, the sunrise over Machu Picchu. And I have never felt in this world, like, out of body. Like, I've never felt like I'm looking at myself in a moment and, like, being so unbelievably thankful for that moment. And, and also, like, it felt like we weren't on Earth because Machu Picchu is, like, in mountains and rivers and like clouds and all of these things. So to go back and experience that moment, the way that we saw it was, oh my gosh, something I would love to do. And then the second thing is when we were in South Africa and we were driving around, um, uh, like doing a safari. Uh, and like we did it by ourselves and it was in Kruger national park and the best was sunsets and it was when all the elephant herds came out and we would be like two meters away from these majestic beasts of like beauty. And so seeing like, you know, 60 of them walk past you in a car that like can't stand up to them at all is just gotta be one of the most humbling moments in the world. So I would go back to those two moments. I don't know how to pick honestly.
0: No, that works. Oh. That actually that actually works that actually works and Shalina and I have a love affair um, our, our spirit animals are elephants and as you um, talked about about um you know safaris Alexander and I were on one in uh, in Tanzania when we went to climb Kilimanjaro and I remember something very similar and watching my son looking at these animals because he has an affinity with all animals but just looking at him that was that would have been my second if i had uh, to pick a second but i'm not because yeah. i that doesn't compare anyway anyway jamie this has I, I been, been flipping comment awesome I, would, go, go oh, down, comment.
3: I you know because when you're talking about that those are dreams of mine um and it's just amazing like even describing those places but and funny that you said the offense i think you might have seen my hands coach my face but I, my, so my son Brooks is obsessed with elephants. I could pull out 60 stuffed elephants from any corner of this house. We even have a diffuser now with the mom and baby elephant. And, oh. and, um and it's funny. Cause I said, how did he naturally gravitate towards elephants? Cause it was my mother's mother, my mother's mother, my grandmother. um, It was her animal. And um, you know, and it's so funny because brooks and i we now have a new dream we did ride an elephant at the african lion safari before they stopped it but anyway we got to ride an elephant and have heard of you know where you can go to these places and actually um work with the um the i guess they call them like orphan um elephants. so they're mm-hmm. like baby orphaned elephants or um and so rescued rescued yes and so you know my son brooks would like to do that and i said oh there's it's so many places we we're gonna go and we're gonna visit and see um and so yeah that's yeah those are beautiful experiences you should do that in thailand the world opens up we're gonna do more (laughs)
1: Yeah, we did that in Thailand and they only have a few responsible ones where like you don't ride them, you don't kind of whatever, but you, you can bathe them and you can like be with them every day and stuff. And so we did like a day thing with elephants and it honestly, it's life changing. So I completely, and it's hilarious because you literally found your people. Nneka mm-hmm. and I both have neck uh elephant tattoos too. And uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh
0: my goodness (laughs) independently (laughs) of each
1: other
0: independently of each other
1: yes Uh, yeah i got mine in thailand after playing with them but anyway thank you so much jamie for being a part of the discussion that has been such a wonderful meaningful discussion for us to have and amanda's gonna tell you a little bit about our patreon Yes, um, the link is in the
2: description, and you can subscribe for, I think, as little as $2 a month, and it goes all the way up, and you can get a lot of extra content if you do so, and you support us, which is so incredible, Important. and Important. I think that on our, one of our upcoming episodes, we're also going to be shouting out some of our um, current patrons to recognize them, so make sure you tune in for that.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you have any questions at all um, or you want us to talk about something or anything like that, then email us at podcast at,
0: at com.
1: And we will all talk to you next time. Bye.
0: Bye.